Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 70 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. Today I get to talk with Michelle, Rachel's mom. Rachel was 17 years old when she was tragically killed four years ago. She was an extremely talented writer, and Michelle started a nonprofit organization and has a website, rachelswriters.com. I had neglected to mention the name of the website in the podcast, so I wanted to make sure to do it here. So on that website, you can learn a little bit more about Rachel and even buy the book that Michelle and Rachel did together, really, of Rachel's writings. So I hope you enjoy hearing all about Rachel, her amazing writing, and her wonderful mom, Michelle. Welcome, Michelle. I'm so excited to talk to you today and to have you on the show. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So why don't we start out by just talking a little bit about your daughter, Rachel. Rachel was my firstborn. She was my second pregnancy. I actually had a miscarriage before her. So when I got pregnant with her, I was really nervous and really anxious and really excited and just, you know, didn't do much of anything, stopped exercise. I just was like, I'm going to be like militant and just do everything. And at like 10 weeks, I started bleeding again. Oh, no. And I um, just was on the floor, like, oh, hysterical. My, he's like, come on, let's go to the doctor, you know. And they actually said that they saw her heartbeat, but there was an empty sack. And they think that maybe she was a twin. And the tw- oh. I, I lost the twin. And I was like, hmm, okay. I thought it was interesting. It wasn't, you know, for sure. But then she was born. And she was, we used to call her Spacey Rachie. Because she was always in her old own world. Like she, she was, a, she was by far, I mean, I know everybody says this, but she was really the most beautiful baby. And she made me the most ugly woman. Like I was horrible looking when I gave birth. I was like, I gained 70 pounds. I was like, I couldn't even, I was horrible. And I mean, I even had a doctor came over to me who didn't know me and said, I saw your baby in the nursery. And she is by far one of the most beautiful babies that I've ever seen. Like she was just gorgeous. Like just this cute little thing from the beginning she was just very like I, I remember going to pediatrician and saying like she's gonna you know she's gonna sleep a lot you know they're gonna sleep a lot I was like okay well that's good not Rachel <laughs> Rachel was up all the time not crying she was the coolest chillest baby but she was always up and I was always felt like I had to entertain her you know what I mean because yeah she was laying in her pack and go whatever and we spent just I spent so much time with her. I mean, she really did was not a sleeper. Like she was not one to sleep at all. She was just always up. She was always happy. And she was always gazing into like the sky or like you know, it was just it was like, where is she? Like, where is she? You know? And everybody who met her, even my grandmother, everyone was like, they would look at her and they would say, She's such an old soul. Now this child was just a couple months old, right? Mm-hmm. So 
I'm like, what do you mean she's an old soul? She's a baby. Like, what are you talking about? And even the doctor would say, sometimes when I'm checking her, I feel very intimidated by her, the way she looks at me. I mean, she was a little, little, tiny little thing, you know? Yeah. So, um, and as she got older, um, she would like literally be in the living room area of our house and she'd be going in circles and she'd be looking up in the sky and she'd be like, like talking like, like, like a different language or something. And we're like, what? I mean, she would literally go to another world. And I just, we just thought it was just, that's Rachel, you know? So when she was 18 months old, I, I gave birth to my second, I had my second child, Jordana. Wow. And that was a big, yeah, that was a big, that was a big transition for, for Rachel and everything. She had great leadership skills. She was very, she always knew what she wanted. She was very, I wouldn't say she was bossy, but it was like every, in her preschool, all the little kids would just follow Rachel around, you know, mm -hmm. like Rachel was just, was just, she just had this, this sense about herself. And it wasn't until she reached elementary school where that kind of went away and she started having a lot of self doubt and she was started coming really like not confident. And the best way that I describe it to her is I used to always say like, you are this round circle that is just like trying so hard to fit in like an oval spot. And yeah. you, the more you try to fit, the more attention you're bringing to yourself. Like just be the beautiful round circle you are because it's amazing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And the more you're, you're yourself, like people are just going to be drawn to you. And you know, cause I'm her mom and she's like, Oh mom, you don't know who you're talking about and this and that. And she was a writer. It was uh, her, third, her third grade teacher actually introduced her to writing. She said, you know, Rachel, when you're feeling certain ways, here's a journal, why don't you just start writing? And that's when her writing just started. Like she just started writing different things. And, and then, well, there weren't things that she necessarily shared with me, but she used to always say like, it's not, it feels good to write, you know? Yeah. And I'd be like, oh, that's good. And so she, she had the, a point in her life where she struggled a lot with like, you know, who she was, if she was good enough, she didn't fit in, she didn't, you know, and then as she, it's like, I always say, it's like, as soon as she adopted herself and just said, oh, like, I'm awesome and everything, she died. Like she only lived a couple of years of, of being her, realizing just how freaking amazing she was, you know? And, and she was, she, she was just this amazing person. She was my soulmate. Like I, I, I felt it from when she was born. I love my other two kids dearly. But there was something about this kid that I felt like, you know, we were so, so connected. And, you know, everyone said, it's because you're the first one and this and that. I don't know. I mean, I know people who have three or four kids and they, they, yeah. their first one is not, it just, we just had this connection. I feel that way with my middle one, Andy, the one who died. I mean, right. I just got him. I got him in ways that his dad couldn't. And, you know, his dad... Or, gets my daughter in ways that I don't sometimes. So right. th sometimes yeah. you do have just that special kind of connection with one of your kids. Especially, that's a, just a little different. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's just, yeah. And, you know, and of course I did chalk it up to maybe, you know, she, you know, I learned, she was my teacher. She taught me how to be a mother, you know, like we learned together, but it was, just, there was something much more profound here. And mm -hmm. um, she used to always have this un like relentless fear of me dying ever since she can talk. I mean, all the way to the day of the age of 17, right before she died, she got, I got a frantic phone call from her. Like, mom, are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm like, I would joke with her. I was like, can, can daddy die sometimes? Like, seriously, I yeah. can't keep having dreams about <laughs> me dying. And her response to me, which to me takes like, is just, is I couldn't, I can't live without that. I, I could live without daddy. I could never live without you. You're my best friend. And I'm like, yeah. 
but it's just it's ironic that she had this this fear of me leaving her you know and then she left me you know yeah yeah but she was amazing she was a, a a giver she was she loved little kids she loved she was a great friend. She loved giving to people. She loved helping the homeless. She was involved in something in school to, to feed the homeless. She was a lifeguard. She was funny. She was deep. She had great insight. She was a beautiful writer. She was a she was a beautiful person. I mean, she was a beautiful person. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just I I just I can't say more enough about her. And I know she's my kid, but I think most people agree who've known her. Like, she was just this beautiful soul. And it wasn't until she died that I realized how much she's touched other people because people mm-hmm. came out of the woodworks and told me stories about. Do you know when they were in middle school, your daughter helped my daughter through this crisis and. Every day she would walk, and I'm like, no, I didn't know that. But it doesn't surprise me. But I, no, I didn't know that. Isn't it beautiful to hear those things? Oh my God, it's it's amazing. It's mm-hmm. amazing. It's wonderful. I mean, and she was never like she was that kid at, at home that didn't really clean her room. You know, she's a little sloppy. Before ever getting a job, if somebody would say like, should I hire Rachel? I'd be like, oh, I would <laughs> recommend it. You know. But then she got a job and every job she ever had, I mean, she was just like always on my case. Mom, get me here. I got to be here 15 minutes early. I have to be here. She was so responsible. She was always on time. She was just the epitome of like the the ethic that she had, which she didn't have at home, but she had it like out was just amazing, you know, Mm -hmm. which I I was so proud of, like so, so proud of. Mm -hmm. Why don't you talk a little bit now about what happened to Rachel? Okay. So um, Rachel was a lifeguard. Mm-hmm. she actually the weekend that she died she was not supposed to be working mm-hmm. but some plans had fallen through for her and she loved money love love money I mean <laughs> yeah she picked up a shift at a pool in my in in our town but she'd never been to that pool before and it's a smaller pool and so only one lifeguard has to be there at a time which mm-hmm. is seems kind of crazy that there should never be one lifeguard and it was the day before, I mean, it was the day after we had a major storm here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And so the night, the day before, all the, all the pools were closed because of the storm. So the next day they said, you know, go, you know, we can yeah. go to work now. The storm has passed. And so she went and I didn't even know that she was at this pool. I thought she was at her regular pool because I actually drove that by her regular pool to go tell her something and I couldn't find her car. I'm like, where's her car? And so I sent her a couple of texts. And she never responded, but my son, who is five years younger than her, was like, oh, I spoke to Rachel at like seven th- at, at, at 9.30 this morning, and she told me that she had to go to work and she was going to be busy. And I was like, all right, maybe she's not, I don't know, maybe she's at a different pool. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So apparently she got to this pool. She wasn't quite sure how to open it up, but she texted someone. They told her how to open it up. And all I know is that the last text was sent by her boyfriend, like saying, like, I love you. And then the next one came in and said, um, I haven't heard from you, but there's a bunch of texts from me. Like, dude, answer your phone. Why aren't you answering your phone? Answer your phone. Please call me. You know, yeah, and she was gone. So what happened is, and they're not real sure because the cameras weren't on for some reason in uh, facing the pool. But what I think, what I, what we come to is that she was checking the um, chemicals in the pool, we believe, and mm-hmm. she held on to the rail. And because the grounding of the pool was done improperly, when the storm hit, electricity broke through a wire that had a, like a, mm-hmm. it wasn't, there was a wire that had a hole in it and it went through the ground. And 
electricity went into the pool because that was the first open area. So the water was electrified and she had no idea of knowing this. So when she held the railing and then put her hand in the water, she fell in and um, she fell face forward. And yeah. she um, had low voltage electricity that ran through her body, making her unable to move. Sure. So she um, ultimately, I mean, her lungs weren't filled with water as if she was a drow like drowning, but she ultimately couldn't breathe because she was face down and um, yeah. that's how she ended up dying. And she wasn't found for like two or three hours after because the person who was supposed to release her from work was trying to get in touch with her to find out how the conditions of the pool were and she wasn't answering. So he came down and he's the one who found her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm so sorry. What a tragedy and what a crazy freak accident to have happen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's the, what's so hard is it could have been prevented. You know, it was due to negligence and there was a, there was a knowledge about the danger of the pool. Not so much about that, but the pool was not, it was, a, they, they, the homeowners did, didn't want to fix anything yet because it was one more day left of the summer. Okay. So it was like, we'll get to it next summer type of thing. Now mm -hmm. they didn't, I, I'm not going to say that they knew that the grounding and everything was faulty, but the work done was not up to par and it, it was negligence. And so it, that, that's really hard for me. That is really hard. You know, I know being in a car accident, like I was with someone that was clearly negligent <laughs> It makes it extra hard, I think, when you feel like if you just would have been paying attention or if somebody had just looked into this a little bit more, none of this would have happened. Well, that's what's so hard is that everybody looked into it. Everybody just ignored it. It was right. just kind of like, oh, we'll get to it another time. We don't want to pay for it this time, you know, and yeah. it's hard. It's just it's it's like it doesn't feel like there's any justice, you know. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Were there legal things that were pursued then too, or because that's there hard? There was, but there was, of course, there was. And but my whole goal was to try to get like legislation changed, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, as far as pool safety. And so that there were some things that were recommended, not mandated. It, you know, I really thought it would go through because it wasn't really a political issue; it was more of a safety issue. Right. But it's, it's hard because, you know, it's, it all comes down to money. People don't want to have to pay for, you know, certain inspections and stuff. And I always say, and it's terrible to say, is that, you know, Rachel was not the child of somebody with a lot of power. And, you know, if it happened to somebody else's kid who was, had the backing, there would be a different thing. You know, there'd be, there'd be changes. And that's sad to say, but it's the truth. Yeah, that's what it feels like for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when did you find out then? So I, ironically, I was at the, a flea market down here in Raleigh with my two kids and one of their friends, which I didn't even know was right next to the morgue. So while I'm walking around with my kids and her friend, my daughter's being brought into the morgue. I had no idea. Oh, my word. I went and dropped my kids off at the mall for me to go to the gym. And as I was walking in the gym around 2.30, my ex-husband called me. He just said, we got a big problem. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I knew it wasn't my other two. I was like, what did Rachel do? I, I, I thought maybe she got into a car accident and she hurt somebody because she was a horrible driver. I mean, I love her, but she was a horrible driver. Uh -huh. And there was a guy who was a detective in the background saying, in, like, he whispered it, but I heard him, don't tell her. And I just, as an instinct of a mother, I said, oh, my God, is it Rachel? Is she dead? And he said, yes. And I was in the middle of a parking lot by myself, just 
broke down and everybody was around me like I was an caged animal looking at me and one woman actually came over to me and gave me a hug and um, I just waited until they came and got me and then my ex went and got my kids yeah and had to start making those phone calls and oh horrible yeah things that you never want to do never no 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 so talk about that time since. So this has been now four years. Yeah, it was uh, September um, two th- third, 2016. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So it's been four years. Mm-hmm. So I am a problem solver. That's what I do. And yes. I was like, oh, my God, how do I solve this problem? Like, I always, no matter what is handed in my way, I'm like, all right, there's got to be a solution. There's got to be a solution. Uh-huh. And this is the first time that I was like, I can't fix this. Uh-huh. I don't know what to do. I can't fix it, you know? Yeah, I'm and, totally uh, with you. I'm a doctor. That's what doctors do. We fix things. And right, to have a right, problem you know? that I can't fix at all was hard for me to fathom, actually, because that is what I do. I fix things. And and I'm a yeah. therapist, and that's yes. what I do. I, yes. like, I, you know, I, I, I don't fix people, but I, you know, I, I always help them look at different ways to see things and other opportunities. And, and it's like, there's nothing that can't be fixed. And I'm like, this is, this is what the true feeling of being desperate means. Like the desperation and the heartache of like, oh my God, like your hands are tied. So my first thought was, how, how am I going to mother her? When she's up there, you know, like, or hopefully I didn't, you know, I didn't have a very strong belief. That was the other thing. I remember being in therapy and I've counseled some people who've lost kids and some of them were really angry and so, you know, every, every, but some of them were really spiritual and, and religious and they were, they, they were seeing me not because their kids gone, but it's like, how do I live here without my kid? Because they really thought their kid was in a better place. I remember being so envious of that. Like, yeah. wow, it must be so powerful to have that belief, like to feel that, strong about your Mm -hmm. you know that your child is in a better place so here i'm like my first thing is like where is she that was my biggest thing because um she died labor day weekend it was a saturday that she died and the coroner was gonna come in and do an autopsy on sunday and i was able to see her on monday because i was like on saturday night i was like well where is she she's all by herself in the morgue like this is not okay with me like i need to be with her they're like well you'll see her on monday and i said Okay, and well, the coroner decided to not come in on Sunday because it was a holiday and it was with her family. And I guess, you know, at that point I was very upset, but I mean, she's got a life too. I mean, this is her job. Yeah. And she came in on Monday and she did the autopsy. And then I got to see her on Tuesday and Wednesday, actually in the funeral home. I brought all her friends and her boyfriend and my family and they all got to spend some time with her. And then on Wednesday, I spent the whole day with her and I wrote her eulogy holding her hand and then... On Thursday, we had the funeral. We took pictures with her, which I know people think is so morbid, but you know what? It's like it was my last opportunity to see her. In- exactly, right. I Crazy when people judge I mean, that. I don't know if that There's people judge no reason Nobody said it. anything to me, but I know I, you know, I know that, you know, because I was always, I, I was in your face. So I was like, oh, here are the pictures. And some people were like, whoa, like, I, I don't, I can't look at that. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. you know, and I'm, and I'm like, why can't you look at that? And my ex-husband was very different. He didn't see the body. He, he, you know, we just, we grieved very different, which was very hard for my kids too, because my house, it was Rachel, Rachel, Rachel. We talked about Rachel all the time and his house. It was like, we didn't really, they didn't really talk about Rachel. So, you know, as you know, like during the funeral, everybody comes in and there's so many people around and it's like, 
you're you're preoccupied with making the arrangements and you know writing her eulogy and me you know making sure everybody's comfortable and you know because that's what i am like i'm like you know make sure everybody's good you know and then everybody leaves goes back to your yes. lives and you're just sitting there like yes what the hell am i supposed to do now so and right before rachel died my middle daughter started losing her hair to the alopecia so, and then it started growing back in the nature after Rachel died, she lost all her hair. So that was another whole stress right yeah. there. It's like this lost her sister. She lost her hair. They went to the same high school together. The principal at the high school did not want to acknowledge my daughter at all. He was a total monster. We had a, like a worldwide petition that went around because he didn't want to acknowledge her. He didn't want to honor her at all. It was horrible. I mean, it was just horrible. I started a foundation for her. Mm. The woman who I hired to start the foundation stole all my money from the foundation. I'm talking like, I was like, what is, oh my yeah, word. what is going sure. on? Like what, you know, you, you kind of feel like, I, I don't know, after Rachel died, I was kind of like, all right, well, that's it. I, I just gave my, my amount like entitled, I guess, mm -hmm. you know, like, all right, yeah. now everything yeah. from here, like nothing. Else. And it's for me, that didn't happen. It was like one thing after another, after another. And I try to do the positive thinking, power of positive thinking, but I was getting mm -hmm. knocked down left and right. It was, like, it was like, it was unreal what was going on, you know? It's funny. I totally get that because when I was younger, both of my parents had cancer when I was in high school. And then my mother ultimately died when I was in college. And I kind of thought I was done with my bad stuff. I had a pretty cruddy adolescence that was f filled with a lot of tragedy and just horribleness right. and I kind of thought I'm good now yeah right I've done that now I should be able to just be good and then when you're not and when this horrible thing happens when even a more horrible thing happens than you ever could have imagined yeah before, and you hear all these people who lose more than one kid at different times and it's like oh yeah what lesson are they trying like what what is that you know like what's but why mm -hmm. why so I, yeah, so it was like, it compounded. I was like, when am I gonna get like air? You know, when am I gonna breathe? But I remember when Ra when I found that Rachel died, ironically, being that I was not real, like, I'm not real religious, you know, I'm raised Jewish, but I remember like instinctively, the, the thought that came in my mind, and I don't know why it came in, is that she was needed somewhere else. Like she was just far too good to be here. Like that's what came into my mind for some reason. I, I mean, of course, through the tears and the blubbering and this and that, I just remember cognitively thinking, it can't be for no reason. Like there's just, it just can't be, you know? So when she passed away, my ex-husband had was selling our married home and it had sold like mm -hmm. a couple of weeks before she had passed. And then she passed and being that we're Jewish, we sat shiver, which was a whole week of, you know, sitting people right. coming and, and he had to, he was closing soon. And, and there was a little bit of like, were, were these people going to actually still buy the house because there was like a little bit of a taboo, I guess, like she died and the woman was pregnant and whatever, but they ended up buying it. And he pretty much packed up Rachel's room in bins and was just like going to get rid of everything. And I was like, no, 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 no. Everything yeah. comes to my house. Everything comes to my house, everything. And I started mm -hmm. going through these bins and that's where I came up with these, came out with these writings that she had that were incredible. I mean, like, I'm like, how did she write about this? The wisdom that this kid had was insane. I, I've known her for 17 years. She, I raised her. I know what experiences she has and has not had. Why does she know all this stuff? And that was my first indication of, you know what? This reincarnation, she's been here before. She's definitely been here before because she knows too much. And I know, I, you know, I, I spent every day of my life with her. So 
I know what she's been exposed to and she just shouldn't know the things that she knows. And I learned from her. So I ended up publishing one book called Look Within, which is this one right here. And it's just a picture of her oh, face. That's beautiful. And it's just a, like, like a bunch of her quotes because she had a quotes after quotes after quotes. So I, I printed this out for to give to like all her friends, you know, for um, graduation. Mm -hmm. I thought it'd be a good thing. And then um, I wrote this book, which is mostly her writings and how they impacted me. And it, I also ended up putting all the quotes on this book so I can condense it. Oh, that's beautiful. And I've used it actually in therapy. And I and I had friends who's you know I had a friend whose daughter was talking about suicide, and he asked me to come over and talk to her about how it is on the parents' end when you lose the kid. She text me all the time, this little girl, and she texts me and with things like, I used this quote today, it got me through, or, so that really helps me out a lot. That is really beautiful. Yeah. A lot of people have, have read it and said, oh my God, I read this quote and it really resonated with me, or how did Rachel know about that? And I was like, you know, I don't know. I don't know where it came from, but I'm proud of it. Like, I'm like, this is amazing, you know? It's nice that she had that gift to be able to give. Yeah. After death. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I'm so glad I went through. I mean, I'm telling you, there were some things scribbled on pieces of paper. Like it wasn't like somewhere in her computer, but some things were just scribbled on little pieces of paper, like, you know, in her notebook ripped out, like it's little things. And they were just amazing. Yeah. Do you have any little examples? The media took off like this one quote that I can't tell you what happiness is. It's different for everyone, but I can only tell you where to, I can tell you where to find it within yourself. That went like viral because it was like the one quote that they yeah. took off. So I have it like plastered on my house. Like I got a sticker made, like one of those big, big stickers and it goes across my mm -hmm. whole living area. I'll, I'll give you this example. And it's a kind of a weird thing, but remember she got electrocuted. So it's called the taste of feelings. Mm -hmm. And it said, frustration tastes like an undercooked steak, and it sounds like a repetitive car alarm. It feels like a sneeze that won't come out and smells like cigarette smoke. Looks like people being unfaithful to one another. Envy tastes like a bitter cup of coffee. Sounds like a baby crying. Feels like continuous electrocution that never ends. I mean, it's like, smells like a rotten moldy cheese and looks like someone having everything you can't. Fear tastes like hot sauce. Sounds like a girl crying for help in the back alley feels like a praying animal, feels like being whipped a hundred times, looks like my mom trying to hold back her tears. I mean, and that that's not one of her good ones, but that one resonated with me because I, it's the whole electrocution thing. And the part talking about you trying to hide your tears. Right, right, exactly, right. She used to say, why is death so feared when life is so much more disappointing and hurtful? Like, I mean, just stuff like that, where people, some people were like, oh, was she depressed? And I'm like, no, she's honest. It's honesty. She wasn't depressed. It was, it was real talk that a lot of people don't want to say, but mm -hmm. she just had so much. Well, and that's beautiful that she wrote something about not fearing death too, because that's got to be comforting to you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's weird when you think about things. So Rachel was in Europe a couple of weeks before she passed. And I remember her and I were the whole night we were, it just so happened. She had called me and I was in a parking lot. My ex-husband and my two kids were in the same parking lot in a restaurant. Now we lived close to each other. So that wasn't weird, but that she called me and he was right there and she was freaking out because she said there was like a bombing or somewhere, which it, it was. And it was like in another freaking country in Europe, but she got all nervous. <laughs> and I was like, well, hold on, dad and Jordana and Max, yell at them all, go sit down. So I went into the restaurant with them and we all sat and we spoke and she's like, don't get off the phone with me, don't get off the phone with me. So I went home and we were just face, we were just typing through Facebook, you know, messenger. And, and I said, look, Rach, I was like, this is an opportunity of a lifetime, but if you're totally afraid and you don't want to be there, 
I'll get you a flight, you come home and, and that's it. But I mean, it was a great trip for her, you know? And she said, I was like, but you know what? When it's your time, it's your time and you enjoy it and you're, you're going to be fine and this and that. Well, anyway, this whole thing that I have still have saved is just like, I just want you to know, mom, you're the strongest person I know. I love you more than you're the best person I know. Like just these things that I was like, oh, thanks, Rach. But now it's like, oh, oh my Lord. God. It's like, at least I know how my kid thought, you know, what she thought about me. Then she came home and she was with her friend of hers and they got into a car accident and she wasn't driving, but her friend was. And she called me, she said, hey, we got into a car accident, everybody's fine, just wanna let you know, you know, we're waiting for my friend's father to come, we're good. I'm like, okay. Then two weeks before she dies, we were at the bank and she was talking to me about um, Cafe Society, a Woody Allen movie. And there's a, okay. there's a scene in there where they take the, the brother dies and he's like, they put him in a wood chipper or something like that and they cremate him or something. I don't know, I didn't, and she, it was, it was funny. And she says, well, I just wanna tell you, if I ever die before you, which is not gonna happen, but if I do, please cremate me. This is two weeks before she died. And we're Jewish, so you're not supposed to cremate in the Jewish religion. And I was like, I'm with you, girl. Cremate me too, because I'm claustrophobic. I don't want to be in the ground. And you know, we were just laughing about it. Well, two weeks later, she dies. And I said to my ex-husband, I was like, we had this conversation and she specifically said she wanted to be cremated. He said, well, then that's what we're going to do. And so the rabbi that we really wanted to do this, the service, who did their bar mitzvah and stuff, was orthodox, even though we're not. And he, he couldn't do the service because he just, he couldn't, it'd be cremated. It just went against everything. He, I mean, he was there, but he couldn't do the ceremony, which was hard because he really knew Rachel more than the other rabbi. But yeah. And he's like, are you sure? I said, listen, these came out of her, this came out of her mouth. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I, yes. I, you could not. No. Not with and that. plus I was like, if I move, I, I, I want to take her with me. I had necklaces made for her boyfriend at the time and my kids and all her friends and I had the ashes put in the necklaces and and actually I have her fingerprint you know it's like I do too. you do like I always am like I'm holding your hand so this little things like that like there it's really they're weird weird things that happen like who has that conversation like about being cremated you know and especially being that we're Jewish and that's like goes against the Jewish religion but we were just joking about it but two weeks later it came to fruition I think what's hard too is that I wanted to feel and experience and know everything my daughter did, if that makes sense. Yes. You don't understand? I, it makes perfect sense. So our, perfect sense. our attorneys, my attorney was like always trying to keep stuff from me. And I'm like, how dare you? Mm -hmm. How dare you? You don't know anything about my daughter that I don't know. How dare you? Like, you know, and mm -hmm. they made this video that had consisted with a bunch of people that knew her, her teachers and everything. And it was to send to insurance companies to, to put a face to the kid, not just a number. And I had a fight. That whole thing is just horrible. The insurance thing is just oh, horrible. It's horrible. It's crazy. There is no right? compensation. It's crazy. So that, that's the, there isn't. No. There isn't. So, and I hated the whole thing. And to me, the whole thing felt like blood money, but to have, right? Yes. That you don't really want no. at all. No. Like, I didn't really want it. But yes, sitting in a room with all these know. people and lawyers talking about money, and it was it was a substantial amount of money. I just was I, I was like, why are you getting any money from my like nobody should be getting money. Like all I all I wanted yeah, was every business to be out. I wanted them all to be out of business. That's all I wanted. I wanted the legislation changed and nobody to be able to work. And every single business is still working, and legislation has not been changed. So the, the money okay. is. Um, Yes, like you said, it feels like blood. It's guilt. It's like it's like 
there is no money. But my lawyer's like, well, what else is there? I'm like, there's so much more. I know. There's so much more. That I know. Because the attorney, too, We, I mean, we ended up getting a substantial settlement. But I... And, and that's what I was like, I don't want to argue with anyone. I don't want to. I just don't. It just feels horrible to me. But then, you know, my best friend, my husband, our attorney, they're all like, well, that's all we have. I mean, that is all we have. But it just feels so... I ah, it feels... Ugh, is what it feels. Oh, it's it. It, feels, <laughs> it, it just feels, feels icky. And, it feels icky. And, and, and it feels like, you know, people seem like they... they they're genuinely there, but you know that you're just a, a case and a number and the next meeting. Yeah, I know. And so I didn't go right back to work because yeah. I was like, I'm a mess. I can, how can I cancel? But I, I knew I could just stay home. Like yeah. working on the book, I started that right away, like right away. Like I, that was my project and the foundation. But I said, I have to do something. So my brother worked in a school like about 40 minutes away from my house and I ended up working with development delayed kids in a classroom as a TA, as a teacher assistant. I think I was like making like $9 an hour, but I mean, nothing like I was making, but just to get me out of the house. And I had my brother there in case I yes. was to break down and he was there a support and the, the school kind of knew. And I just, so I, I had somewhere from nine to three, but most of, you know, all my other time I worked so much on this book. And so what you, in retrospect, you think about, it was like three weeks ago, I broke down in the middle of the night and I had this intense feeling of guilt, thinking like my son was only 12 years old when my daughter died and they were so, so close. And my other daughter has all these other issues with her. You know, she's a psoriasis, she has alopecia, she's got a bunch of other medical issues. And so I'm like, I broke down in the middle of the night thinking, what a shitty mother I am. Like I wasn't there for, like I was not there for them. I, I just... Mm -hmm. You tend to take the kid who's not there and that's who you, you like idealize. Because, I know. And I woke up there. I couldn't wait for them to get up the next morning, you know, because my daughter's home from college and, and I, I was almost got up in the middle of the night to wake them both up, but I couldn't wake up and I'm like, guys, I need to talk to you. Like I had this worst night last night. I'm so sorry. And, you know, and they were both like, mom, we were just worried about you and you did great. And, you know, but it's like, I think of my little 12 year old boy who wanted, who went right back to school. Like my other, my daughter didn't, but he did. Mm -hmm. And he came home from school and Rachel wasn't My there. son was 12 too. The one who. And he went. And not no, my, my. Andy was 14, okay. but Peter, his younger yeah. brother, was 12. Yeah. And he he went to the first day of school. I mean, he it, which was one week after his brother died. He was there on the first day of school. And you're right. You don't feel like, you feel like, and I, I mean, we talked about this a little earlier before we even started recording about how, you know, you imagine what the loss of your child is like a little bit. And you can imagine that. And as a therapist, you dealt with people who lost their child and you talk about that loss, but the other huge loss that you have is the loss of yourself right? and the loss of who you were. And I did, I remember feeling like I am like, I was a mother of three, well, kind of four, cause I have a foster son too. And now I, I just feel like, and now I'm just a crappy mother. Like I just can't I, like, I, yeah. I'm not the mother of the same number of kids in some ways, but I also just felt like I, all of a sudden I couldn't mother anyone in the right. I way. know. And I mean, I'll, I'll yeah. tell you this and I, and the people who are listening to will get it. And it's not something that I normally would say, but I will in this forum is, and I'm embarrassed about it. But I, when I heard she died, I initially, my first thought is 
I wish I didn't have any kids. I don't, I don't, I don't want anyone. I don't want, I don't want to be vulnerable anymore. I don't want to take care of anybody. I just wish I had none. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And I felt terrible yeah. about saying that because I love my kids. I love them dearly. I mean, they're like, they're fucking, they're great. But I just was like, I just, I just wanted to crawl in a hole. I didn't want anybody to. I think that makes sense because you just don't have, you don't have anything to give. You feel like I don't have anything to give. And you know, as a parent, you need to give right. to them, right. to parent them. And you're like, but there's nothing here. It's just a hole. There's nothing to give. So I'm not going to be able to do at all a good enough job. And I've had conversation with my kids about it too in these last couple of years. And they're like your kids saying, mom, you did the best you could. You did fine. I mean, we're, we're fine and they're not fine, but you know, I like they, we all were doing the best that we could with what we had. Right. And it just, it's just not the same. No, it's just, not it's not. Awesome. And then I was divorced too. So my kids were going back and forth from between my house and my ex's house. And like I said, he, he just didn't talk about it. And then shortly after Rachel died, he lost his mother. And then shortly after that, he lost his father. So it was like, there was a lot of loss going oh, on sure. over there. And yeah. so my house, it was like, Rachel, 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 you know, in his house, it was like, they didn't really talk yeah. about it very much. So it was hard for them. You know, it was like, it was the, it was just like the ghost. Well, and it was two sad households too. It wasn't like you would go somewhere else and be able to feel a little bit better. Right. right? Had it just been their grandparents that died, then they would expect to go to dad's house and feel sadness. Right. But then when they came back to your house, then things would be normal, but they don't, it wasn't normal right. either way. Right. I mean, it's not going to feel normal to suddenly not talk about Rachel. I mean, that's had to be very difficult for them, too. We need to talk about her. And, and sometimes I think certain men can have a little bit harder time wanting to show that emotionality. And I think dads feel like they need to show strength. And they feel like if they open up and are vulnerable and start talking, then they're going to start crying and they don't want to see that. And they don't want their kids to see well, that yeah. because they want to be the tough yeah. one. Although too. he's, my ex is not that guy. He, he, he isn't, he, he's, <laughs> okay. he's the one who cries at Hallmark commercials. Like he's very, he's, wait, okay. he's very okay. soft. Right. He's very, it's just, it was too much for him, but it was hard on the kids. I think, yeah. Cause it was like, Oh, are you allowed to talk about her? And so I had to have a conversation with him and be like, let them know it's okay. Like you don't have to bring it up. And he's like, I, he's like, it's totally okay for them to talk, but they don't, you know, they, it, so it's, it's all yeah, these other hard. pieces. And then the friends that you would hope would be there that they're gone. Yeah. And I, I'm, I've been the rock. I, that's what I've always been the rock for people. And, and I'm okay with that. Like I've been the one, you know, I'm the reliable one. I'm the one you can come to. I, I'm always, you know, and I was crumbling and it made people very uncomfortable. Yeah. I thankfully had my sister who we got much closer through this and she was, you know, she helped me a lot. Um, but I don't like, you know, people will say like, I have a bad night, but why didn't you call me for what? To call you to to cry to you, you can't do anything for it. And then it ruins your day. I and I mean, I remember my sister saying that she was in yoga after um, she came down for the funeral, and when she was lying in the pose at the end, where they just you know with their hands across their chest, she kept think she kept seeing Rachel because that's how Rachel was in the when we went to see her, you know, at the funeral home, and it was 
it, it haunted her. And I had no idea that it was so uncomfortable for her because she didn't tell me at that moment because it wasn't about her. But I'm like, if you- She just wanted to protect you. Yeah. yeah but but I, so I felt, so I had all that guilt. Like, oh my God, now I have, like my sister was being haunted by these images because I kind of, you know, made her, not made her, but she was trying to support me. And, you know, so it, 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 it it's just a multifaceted change of life. It's not just, oh, your kid's not here anymore and you got to deal with it. It's the disappointment of others, the hurt from others, the posts that everybody posts about their kids that you're so happy about, but it's like, oh, like, like she's like my daughter's supposed to be graduating this year from college, you know, just the, un, the unfairness. It's I know. I see that too. Recently, I had a friend, a Facebook friend to talk about, you know, their struggle to get family pictures. And I can't even think of doing a family picture. Can't even think of it. Right. The whole idea of doing a family picture without Andy is like, I can't imagine I will ever feel okay doing a family picture again. And, my, my, and it makes me sad, but, right. you know. And we go on family vacations every December. Like my mom, my brother, my sister, everybody. And I remember Rachel died in September and we were supposed to go to Jamaica in December. And we had tickets, you know, Rachel obviously wasn't with us. And it was always like, well, we're doing the family vacation. And I'm like, do you understand? Like there is no more family, but the family isn't together anymore. Oh, well, yeah, we're all going to get, yeah. no, Rachel's not here. Like, I don't see, my family is, is falling apart. Yes. I, and, it's and broken. I, and I, you don't mm-hmm. want to be a downer, but it's like, I remember saying to one of my my friends who kept saying, oh, well, at least you have the other two. At least you have the other two. And I, and she has three kids. And I said, let me ask you a question. You have three kids. Which one you want to get rid of right now? Don't go to the soccer practice with. Don't, you know, pick up from school. Yeah. Which one, which one can you live without? Just give me it. And, and, and be okay with the fact that you have the other two. And it like really hit home with her. And she was like, oh yeah, that's, that's hard, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad you said that because that takes a lot of strength to be able to say that to someone, but it's definitely true. Well, which kid would you be okay with just getting rid of? Right, right. And you'd be okay for the rest of your life and just be. And I, I guess I've been more of like, I've been in the grocery store and seen people who, know, who have known me and Rachel for many, many years. And I, I actually seen them turn around when they see me and I chase mm-hmm. them down. I, I have, I, I've, I've been, I said, Rachel's death is uncomfortable for you for five minutes. I live with it every day. Like, why would you not approach me? Step out of your comfort mm-hmm. zone. Be it the person you'd want to be done to you. What are you running from? You didn't, you didn't kill my daughter. Yeah. But, but you, yeah. I mean, literally, these are the people that were in my house with my kids playing. Like, our kids grew up and they take the beeline away from me because it's that uncomfortable. And I'm like, uh uh-uh, uh, that's not, that's not going to happen. Like, I'm, I'm going to confront you on that. And then after that, we don't ever have to talk. But I, that to me, that's just horrible. It's, and, and I know it's not because they have a bad heart, it's because they don't know what to say. And I'm like, you don't, don't know what to say. Don't say anything. Just give me a hug. Say, I'm thinking about you. And, you know? Yes. Yes. And I have said many times, it is better to say the wrong thing than to say nothing. Because saying nothing is what really hurts. It's the ones that don't even try. Because if you try and you end up, you said the wrong thing, I can give you grace and I can get past that. But when you don't try or just ignore it and never mention Andy's name, never mention Rachel's name. That's what hurts. And that's, that's the thing is I always talk about Rachel. When I do, people go, yeah. I know. and I always, I, I say, it's like, every time you mention her name, it's a reminder that you remember she lived every time you don't say, her name, yes, it's like she didn't exist. 
And that is yep. like the, the biggest thing for me is like when I wrote all these books and everything and, you know, people were like, what are you trying to accomplish? And I said, like, the, the most thing is that, that she's not forgotten. Like everybody yes. needs to still remember her. And I, and so I do her posts. I, I put on her quotes every once in a while, like her new year's quote, I put on every new year's. Um, I'm not as, as consistent as I was four years ago, but I'll tell you something. It hasn't gotten easier. It's gotten harder. Like I, this grief thing is a monster mm -hmm. four years into it. And I, I feel like I'm in a worse place than I was. I mean, really it's, it's a shame. In some ways you get further away and you feel like you've lost a little bit of the closeness in some ways, right? Because more time has gone on. Other people have moved on, have forgotten. They don't talk about them as much. Yep. Honestly, you know, starting the podcast had really been the big focus was to, you know, help people, give people kind of hope and healing for the future. But I have found that one gift that I can give to people is to give people an hour to talk just about their kid. Right. And this can be there forever and people can listen to it all over the world and can learn a little bit about your daughter and the fact that she's not forgotten. And I just love that. I love the fact that I can do that for people. I mean, it used to be at the beginning, I'd be like, do I want to ask them to be on? I don't want to be a burden, whatever. And then I realized it's not being a burden. Mm -hmm. I mean, some people don't want to talk about it and that's totally fine. And I'm fine if you just want to hold it close. But if you want to just be able to talk about them and have something that's just will be out there on the internet for <laughs> forever yeah. to just be able to have people listen to a little bit about Rachel and the amazing kid she was and the, the old soul at two months old and yeah. all of that. That's just what's such a beautiful thing Absolutely. to be able to do, And like, right? you know, when we when I wrote the books, of course, you know, in the beginning, there were a lot of people buying it and this and that, and then it slowed down. But every once in a while, I'll see like one or two books being bought. And to me, that's like, oh, that, that, that means so much because it's like, you know, it's four years later. And yet, like, I actually, a patient of mine actually just told me, you know, I just purchased that book that, that you wrote with, you know, with your daughter because it's her, her writing and mine. And it was amazing. Uh -huh. And I, it touched me so much. I was like, you search for it. And, you know, like it was just very touching to me that she that she took her time out and and wrote it. So it's out there and, and her words are really good. And so people get something out of it. It just it's like it, it just it, it, I don't know. It just makes your it makes her still around. You know what I mean? It's like it's yeah, she's still there. And, it's something you're doing with her still. Exactly. That's, and, that's it. I just said, mm -hmm. I said that, I said, mm -hmm. I feel like we're in a partnership. I'm not quite sure what our business is, but she's doing what she mm -hmm. needs up there and I'm doing what I need to do down here. And I don't really know what our mission is yet, but I feel like she does and we're working together, yeah. you know, and I've gone to like the psychics and all that stuff. I don't know if you're a big believer in that or not, but and gotten some really good affirmations from them and that helps me. Well, it helps me because I do feel like every week this is something I'm doing with Andy and it, and it makes him more alive to me that we are doing this together and we are, and I had this horrific, awful, terrible thing happen and I would take it back in a heartbeat. I'd change anything I possibly could to have it not have happened, but since it did and since I can't do that, 
we can make something good together. Right. We can do something good together. Right. And we can help other moms and dads be able to tell their kids stories and let them be alive for that little bit. Right. You know, it's funny that you said that things get tougher because I think that's definitely true. There are aspects that get tougher. I had a, a someone whose brother died just recently reach out and he'll, he'll eventually be on the program with his mom, but his brother died four months ago. And he said, people are just getting sick of me talking about it. And oh. I'm just not at all better after four months. And I just feel like I just need to talk about it. And I haven't written back yet, but I'm like four months, buddy, you are barely starting. You are barely starting so that's why and I know other people might be sick of him talking about his brother but the grief journey is much longer than that (laughs) it's funny because you know I've had a couple patients referred to me from doctor's office and stuff who've lost their kids and Mm -hmm. I can't even I like because it's such a personal type of thing you you know the boundaries get crossed a little bit so like I've actually like I have one in particular that I'm thinking of like I actually had to fire her as my patient because I'm like we're friends like you can't be my patient anymore like we've become very good friends because it's hard to listen and hear her and not share because I I I really do know like what she's going through and so Mm -hmm. you know people said well why don't you go and start specializing and just doing like bereavement for I'm like because I'll make because I'll have a lot of good new friends but I won't have any business (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. because it's like well I think that's why grief support groups are so useful because it is so helpful, I think, to be able to share our experiences and it can offer so much comfort to people to have that shared experience because so few people can understand it. Like my friends from before this, I didn't have any who lost kids, none. So they just do not get it at all. So I really had to find a new circle of people to support me in that. Not that my other friends have completely gone away because they haven't, but they can't be there for me in the ways that those women who have lost kids can be. Right. They, it's just different. It is. It's different. And it's funny. It's like with the way the world is today with all the, the chaos, this is one thing. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. doesn't matter what color you are. doesn't matter what race you are. The kid bonds you with somebody. It's like it has no, it doesn't yes. matter. It, and, and there's very little things in this world that are like that, you know? Yeah. I have in the last month had... I mean, several people write to me from different provinces in Canada, all across Canada, one from the Philippines, one from Belgium, one from France. I mean, this is all just within the last month. And you're right. It's just, you know, the Belgian woman just wrote to me and she was feeling so comforted to have someone that knew exactly what she was going through, even though I'm all the way in Michigan. I mean, I'm so far away from her, but yet it was offering just this comfort and I know. you know it's it's unbelievable but you're right it it's amazing it's amazing it is I've had conversations maybe just once once or or twice with people who I've never met before that just was like hey I'm you know having a bad day I was like well here's my number give me a call or you sound like you need to talk why don't you give me and I'll talk to them and maybe I'll never talk to them again but when we talk it's like I'm being heard they get it, you know, and even though their relationships mm-hmm. are different and whatever, that that loss and that feeling of desperation is the same. It's something that I never, ever imagined I'd have to go through. 
I don't know why I thought I'd be exempt no. from it, but I just did. <laughs> well, I know. You know, I experienced it when I was young, when I was uh, 13 years old, my best friend's brother who I was very close with, he ended up getting killed in a car accident and he was a senior in high school, very smart. And I remember saying to my friend, and I don't even know where it came from at 13. I remember like we went and we walked away from where everybody was. And I remember saying, you know, he was just so good that God just needed him. I don't know. He was just that good that God needed him. And those words came back at me after Rachel. Died. Yeah. Now she didn't know Rachel very well, but those were the words that she said, do you remember you said this to me? And I yeah. said, yeah. And, and, and so she said those words to me. She said, well, maybe she was just good. Did that comfort you at all? Yeah. Well, it comforted me that she remembered it. Like, I was like, okay, that obviously was yeah, something. Yeah. That yeah. Was. But it was kind of like what I felt right when I heard that she died, even though I was beside myself and, oh my God, I like something in my mind went in and out. It was like, she was needed somewhere else. She was, she was, she's, she, she's not done. Yeah. Like she's not done. And I, again, the, the whole, it just, I don't know where it came from, but it came and it didn't come from me. It came from, you know, outside. Yeah. And, yeah. And so, um, it just validated a little bit what I thought, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I've had somebody say that to me, oh, he, he just wasn't made for this world or something. And it ends up kind of ticking me off because I don't, I don't like it when I say that. I was like, sure he was, he was, he was great here. And, but it's one of those things that if I say it and it comes to me, it's okay. But when right, someone says right. it from the outside, then it just tends to make me a little bit irritated. So yeah, or, I just wondered I don't like what... how you felt about that. I think it was probably different because it had been your words that she was just repeating right. back to you. I don't like when people say she's in a better place and stuff. Like I went to Duke with my daughter for her, her alopecia and the doctor hurt. Like, he's like, I heard about your daughter, but you know, she's in a better place. And I was like, all right, that was totally inappropriate. Like, so I just said to him, I was like, Oh, you've been, can you tell me about it? Like, I was really pissed off. I was like, that was not an appropriate response. You're not here to talk about my daughter. I know. Who are you to tell me that she's in a better place? And I was like, the only place she needs to be is with me and her dad is like how I, I know. So, you know, but again, I'm with you. It's so funny because if it comes from me, it's kind of okay, right? Yeah. But when it comes from someone else telling me that who was not in the, that situation, I think if I had another bereaved parent say that to me, our kids are in a better place, I think it would take it okay. But for like a stranger to say that to right, me, right. I found that a little bit challenging to get past. Which Especially when there are people who are not real religious or spiritual. It's like, Wait, when when did you when when did you find out about this place that you're talking about that's so good? You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, and you know, like you said, you know, I educate people a lot. Like, you know, this is what you don't say. Like, these are things you don't like. Because I've yeah. had people say, like, I just lost my friend, just lost a kid. Like, can you help me? Like, what do I do? And I'm like, well, this is what you don't yeah. do. This is what you don't say, or this yeah. is what you know. And I mean, I had a woman who found out that I lost my kid, and she was like, you know, we talked a lot and she's like, God, I couldn't imagine. Well, like a year later, her son killed himself and I reached out to her and, and whatever. And she's like, I still can't imagine it, but I'm, I'm living it, you know? I know. It's so funny because people say that to you. Like, I can't imagine it. I can't imagine it. Well, honestly, neither can I, but I'm having to live it every day. Right, right. But yeah. And what would you imagine? You just do. Like, who, who, who would want to imagine that? Right. Imagination is supposed to be a beautiful thing. It's not supposed to be a negative thing. But I remember just feeling so bad for Rachel, feeling like she was cheated or she feeling like she got, you know, yes. like she, she finally got into herself and she was just an amazing person and she was so wonderful and just great and everyone, you know, just everything. She was a big ball of brightness. And, and it's like as soon as she became confident, she, she left and she was gone and my husband says that all the time. That's his biggest sorrow, really, is 
just that feeling that Andy was cheated because he just had gotten into a new school. He just made the soccer team. He just got new friends. He just was really kind of coming into his own a little bit now, and only the past couple of weeks. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Now was Andy the, I think it was your story where you said like when he was in kindergarten or something, he drew a picture and he wasn't, yeah. in, yes, he was seven. Yeah. And he drew a picture and said, and he drew a picture and there were only four people in the picture instead of five. And he said he, he wasn't going to grow up all the way that he was in heaven. Mm -hmm. Did you did you think much about it like after or? Yes. Yes. I knew then in my heart that it was true. Really? I knew because I freaked out. I completely freaked out. I told my husband. I told some of my friends. I threw away the picture. Like I just thought if I just get rid of it and just because there was a piece of me that knew it was right. And oh when it happened that night it's one of the first things my husband and I talked about is my husband said to me, remember the picture because it's one of the very first things that popped into my head. I was still in the ambulance and I thought about that damn picture, you know, that I really just desperately didn't want to be true, but a little bit of me knew that it was, you know, it's, it's interesting. Cause when I was going through Rachel's room and whatever, I found this, this writing and it, she had to be like six or seven when she wrote it. Cause it was scribble and it. She said, Mommy, don't be sad. I had to go to Zimbabwe. Like that was the name of the place, Zimbabwe, because I was needing another place to do better things. And I was like, I never saw it before. It was like in the bottom of her closet, but it was just scribbled. I'm like, Zimbabwe, what the hell is Zimbabwe? But anyway, and I read it and, and maybe things just hit you more because they're not here. And it's like, oh my God, is this a sign or whatever? But it was like, I had to go. It probably was, honestly. Yeah, it probably was just this little gift because there's no question it's a gift to me. No question, having that was a gift to me. And I don't think he would have remembered it had I mentioned it the day before. I'm sure he wouldn't have. It's not something I talked about again because it bothered me so much, but it gives me comfort. You know, do you, I mean, I, know, I just on another thing, I'm just curious, do you get signs from him? Do you feel like he's around or? You know, not often. Okay. Not often, really. I wish I did more. Occasionally I'll have dreams. I was telling the kids about a dream the other night that I I remember having a dream and I remember in the dream Andy said to me, "Remember when I was dead, mom?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yep, I remember." Cuz he just suddenly wasn't dead. And I don't know why he wasn't dead. And the kids laughed and thought that was funny and kind of like something Andy would say, just like this matter of fact, like, "Ah, oh, remember?" No, you, you're um, still married, right? You you and your husband are still Right. So, that's, mm -hmm. so yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm, yeah. like I said, I'm divorced and I find myself, I found myself a lot of times getting really, feeling really alone and really angry yeah. at my kids and my ex-husband for not being more sad and not being more upset and not, which is terrible. It sounds as a mother, like you don't want your kids to be sad, but feeling like. I know, but you kind of do a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Like mm -hmm. my daughter, my daughter, who's only 18 months younger than my Rachel, like to this day will say, I don't really remember her. I'm like, how do you not remember? And she's like, I think I'm in denial. I don't know. Like I, I just, I just block a lot out. My son who was super close to her. I mean, I thought he would be the worst. I thought it was going to be like for him, it was going to be over. I mean, he was 12 through 17. They were inseparable. Like it was, it was a very odd relationship. They were definitely soulmates of themselves, but he is like, she's around. I talk to her all the time. To him, it's like, I see her. I talk to her. She's here. Like, what? Like what is different type of relationship? And he's so matter-of-factor about it. I'm like, what do you mean you talk to her? 
He's like, yeah, like we were just in Florida. He's like, yeah, me and Florida, we talked about it. Me and her were talking while I was walking with the dog. And, you know, and so for him, I'm like, it's so matter of fact. I'm glad he can get that, though. I'm so glad. Yeah. It's got to be so comforting for him. Yeah, he's like, she's never. Yeah, in some ways, I get a little jealous of that. Me too. Me too. I'm like, you know, so anyway. It's a journey. Well, thank you so much for joining me today thank and talking you. about Rachel. I loved hearing about her and just talking about your journey and this journey that we're all on. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We're always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.